Well, thank you for, for joining with me in prayer. If you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis 35. Genesis 35, we're going to read the entire chapter. If you don't have a Bible, just ask you to look on with somebody beside you. If you don't know them, ask them if you can do, look on with them anyway. It'd be a great way to get to know somebody. Just pop a breath mint in your mouth maybe. Um, <laughs> Genesis 35. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm a little tired this morning. Genesis 35, 1 through 29. This is God's word. Jacob's, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. As they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. And so he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him into the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died. And she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob are twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. 
the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those times when we are more aware of our need. God, thank you for those times when we're more aware of our weakness, Lord, because we are more dependent upon you. This morning is one of those times for me, God, and I just thank you that in my weakness, Lord, you are strong. God, our faith is not in our ability, but our faith is in you. Our faith is in your word. Our faith is in your living and active and powerful word. Father, you say that your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish the purposes that you have for it. God, our faith is in your Holy Spirit as well to illumine our minds and to enliven our hearts. We pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would come. We need you. We ask for you to come. We ask for you, your presence, to be with us in a unique way to bless us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I can still remember responding to the call when my Lutheran pastor, I was four years old, I think, or four or five, somewhere in there, and believe it or not, we were in this wonderful Lutheran church, and um, we had a godly pastor, and he was teaching a Sunday school, and I remember how he called us as children to repentance Although my memory's a little foggy on the details, I can remember years of voraciously just ripping apart God's Word as a, as, a, as a young boy and underlining actually the entire book of Galatians in my Bible. Um, I, my mom gave me my old Bible a few years back and I opened it up and I started chuckling because I couldn't tell what was important to me. The whole thing was highlighted. Um, basically, all of Paul's letters were yellow and bright, bright yellow. And, and so I... I I just remember having an appetite. I'm not sure what you're supposed to focus on if, if the entire book of Ephesians is highlighted. What part was really standing out to me, I don't really know. But um, there was a passion there for God early on. But to my shame, somebody, somewhere along the way, don't know exactly where, somewhere along the way, probably around my junior year in high school, I went my own way. I, I actively sought my own way. I became an idolater even though I knew better. I don't know if any of you can relate to that or not, but I bowed to the fear of man. I tried to impress people. I tried to fit in, to stay popular, to avoid being an outcast. I lied. I was a deceiver. I was a manipulator, and I was pretty good at it, if, if, if there is such a thing, right? I secretly began getting drunk. I still remember one morning waking up to drink some warm beer that I'd hidden in the closet. And I remember God called me and asked me what I was doing. It's not like God didn't know. <laughs> it's kind of like when, when God called to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. God knew what I was doing. And it's not like I didn't know either. But when God called to me, it, 
He was really asking if I would admit it, if I would stop, if I would come back to him. And I responded to him. I did. It was wonderful. I responded to him. I, I put away my drunkenness. I, but sadly, over the years, I, I still failed. I sinned in a myriad of ways to my shame and, and in many ways that I regret with tears. You see, God, God called me. God chose me. And I responded to him. But I wasn't faithful all the time. If you can relate to that. I wasn't faithful all the time. In fact, I sinned in some of the ways that I had before and I would repent and I'd, I'd sin again. The cycle would repeat. Because I didn't really understand the battle with the enemy of sin that remained within. And I didn't understand God's grace. I would get condemned when that would happen. Other times in my past, I'd be doing great and then I'd, I'd fall in the same stupid sins all over again. And You see, I battled idols. You know, I still battle idols. Not the physical kind, thankfully. We don't have anything weird things set up in our, in our guest room. We don't even have a guest room, actually. But we don't have any weird little amulets or anything set up. Or, but I still battle idolatry. It just looks different. Maybe the, maybe the idol of ease or seeking my own way. Other, other ones as well, by the way. That's not the end of the list, in case you're wondering. It, it's in times when I rest sometimes and become complacent that I'm likely to fail and fall. But here's the good news. Thanks be to God, I'm learning. I'm learning to be on guard when I think I'm doing well. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, to anybody who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. I'm learning to listen to God's voice because in the midst of every trial, in the midst of my sin, God, God is calling me. You see, he didn't just once call me when I was young. He continued to call me. And he continued to call me. And he continues to this day to call me back to him. You see, I can identify with Jacob. I wonder if you can as well. I can identify with Jacob's his continual back and forth. You know, we can get self-righteous at times as we're, we're reading through the book of Genesis and we, we read about the patriarchs and we read about Jacob and you're like, well, God appeared to him in person. And then, then he's back to the same old stupid stuff again. And then, but I thought he got his name changed and he's back to the same old stuff again. But then I thought he was different, but then he's back again. And boy, I can relate. I can relate in my own life. I can identify with his continual back and forth as he attempts to respond to God's call. And I can identify with Jacob and my sin. And, and yet, I'm, I'm glad that in the middle of my sin, God graciously... God graciously calls me. He calls me come, to come back to him and to live a life of worship to him. And, and that's what you see with Jacob. If you remember, the last chapter didn't end so well. If you, if you weren't here, or if you, if you don't remember, or if you didn't get to hear the message, just look down in your Bible for a minute and look at the last four or five lines of the last chapter. It didn't end well. Jacob hadn't earned God's grace. Jacob hadn't earned the right for God to, to appear to him, to call him, to come to him. Jacob had done nothing to merit God's favor. But it was good news. It was good news for Jacob that God graciously calls. God graciously calls and redeems his people in the middle of sin. And I believe that's the point that God would have for us this morning from the passages. That God graciously calls has God graciously called you if you're a believer? Is he, is he now calling you to come back? 
Do you find your, where, where do you find yourself today? God graciously calls and he redeems his people. Not in their sinlessness, but in the middle of their sin. Jacob's just been a loser again. You think, no, certainly not. Oh, man, he's been a loser. And so am I. And I, I bet there's a few other losers in the room too. Here's the good news. God graciously calls and redeems his people in the middle of sin. And I was encouraged this morning as I was hearing the different uh, scriptures shared that God had put on people's hearts. And I just felt like, wow, the Holy Spirit's really confirming that, boy, that's, that's what he wants to speak. He wants to encourage folks this morning, no matter where you find yourself. Maybe you're not a Christian. You're thinking, I don't know how to be a Christian. Well, here's the good news. God's calling to you this morning. You can respond to him. You can repent, which means confess your sins, turn from them, ask him to save you, trust in what Jesus has done, which is Jesus died for your sins. He paid the price, the penalty for your sins that you and I deserve to pay. He took our place so that we can respond to him. You don't have to earn his favor. And the good news for you, Christian, today is God graciously calls to each and every one of us. It's his grace that calls to us. And he redeems his people in the middle of sin. Your sin and other people's sin too. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not really stuck in sin right now. That wasn't for me this morning. Well, I bet you're affected by other people's sin at times. Maybe not today, but I bet in the past you have been or recently or you will be. In the middle of other people's sins, God calls and redeems his people. This morning, it's good news to everyone of you. It's good news to me to know that God graciously calls his people. God graciously calls his people, and that's the first point this morning. God was gracious. He was gracious to call Jacob many years prior as he fled for his life on the way to Badanaram. And when, when Jacob was running, remember this? He was, he was running from Esau because he had stolen the birthright, because he had lied. He deceived. He tricked his own father. He colluded with his mother. He was low. He wasn't looking for God. He laid his down, head down on a rock going to sleep and God called him. God called him. And see, God is actually reflecting back on that, on that occasion in the, in the first verse of, of this chapter when he says, I want you to go back to Bethel and build an altar there. It's the place where you, do you remember that? Jacob, by the way, I called you before. I'm going to remind you that I called you before and I'm calling you now to go back again. To go back again to the place where you met me. Jacob says in the day of his distress, God had been with him. He says God had been with him all along wherever he went. Just as he promised about 30 years earlier. This is, this is 30 years after that initial calling. For, for me it's about 35 years past my initial calling. And God graciously calls us back to him. He doesn't chide us. He calls us back to him. Through many dangers, toils, and snares now, Jacob had already come. Sound like a, a hymn in the works there maybe? <laughs> Jacob wasn't called just once either. God chose him 30 years prior in Bethel. When he was on the run in the first verse of chapter 35, he reminds him about that. He, he, he called him in Padanaram as well. He called him to leave Padanaram. He called him on the way. He appeared to him. 
He changed his name to Israel. You think, well, it was just a few chapters earlier. That was 10 years ago. And he's renewing that again and saying, I, I, I changed your name, but now I'm going to have everybody else call you by that name as well. Because now I'm, I'm, I'm making the change I began in, in you 10 years ago when I changed your name. I'm making that effective now. And so he calls him again 10 years after pursuing his own ends. You see, 10 years after he was supposed to enter into the promised land, on the way to the promised land, he kind of took his time. He kind of took his time fulfilling his vow. Remember back in when, when Jacob had originally met with God, when God appeared to him, and, and Jacob made a vow to God to come and worship him. And he was really referencing the place where he was in Bethel. It's now 10 years for him to make, make good on that after he's gotten the promised land 30 years to make good on the vow. He lived outside of the promised land going for a while, outside it to greener pastures, probably because he had just given his brother a huge sum of, of his fortune. And he was trying to, to reaccumulate his wealth. And he thought, well, I'm not going to go back in the promised land right away. Maybe I'll, you know, I don't know what was in his mind, but he stayed there for a few years enough to build a house. That wasn't a speedy obedience, was it? He lived outside of Shechem instead of going to Bethel to fulfill his vow that he made the Lord. His daughter was defiled and he didn't respond. He failed to respond because he was fearing. It's pretty clear he was fearful. He was, he was fearful of the people around. He didn't lead well. He, he abdicated leadership. And what happened when he abdicated leadership? Well, Simeon and Levi, they, somebody stepped in. And it wasn't good. His boys were tempted when, and they responded in anger and they took ungodly vengeance. And then Jacob, who hadn't said anything about his daughter's plight when he should have corrected what went on, instead he corrects Simeon and Levi. And, and he was fearing the inhabitants of the land instead of trusting God or seeking him. And, and that's when God came to him. In the midst of his fears, in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of him seeing circumstances as greater than God, God calls him. He says, come on back. Come back, come, come, let's go to Bethel. Make an altar for me there. Maybe you're fearing this morning. Maybe you have circumstances that are looming larger. Maybe you're more aware of what's around you in your life. Maybe you too are fearing. God says, come, come to me and worship me. Live a life of worship to me. God seeks us out when we need it most. God sought Jacob out when Jacob needed grace and mercy most. Didn't, didn't he really need grace and mercy at the end of this last chapter? And he didn't ask for it though. Sometimes I forget to even ask. You know, when, I, when I'm in those self-sufficient moments, I don't know about you, I mean, that's, I guess that's part of self-sufficiency, right? That, that's the times when actually I don't feel like praying the most, when I don't feel like asking. And that's the times when we need God the most. Now, unlike Jacob, we can cry out to God, Abba, Father, and God calls to us through the pages of Scripture to come to Him and worship Him. That's the time when we need to come to Him the most. Christian, maybe you find yourself feeling like you're not deserving, like you're not seeking Him like you should. Maybe you haven't been seeking Him like you should for a while. Maybe you're, you're feeling ashamed this morning. I bet Jacob kind of felt ashamed when God came to him. And he realized, oh man, I blew it. 
He got it. He got it as soon as God came to him and called him. He clearly got it because he responded in obedience and repentance and change. He knew. God's call brought conviction as well. And Maybe you've done something you know you shouldn't have. Maybe you've been living like you, you know you shouldn't have. Maybe you've failed again. Men, maybe you're like Jacob and maybe you haven't led like you're called to lead. Serve and care for your family. Maybe, maybe you haven't protected your family from harm. For others, maybe you've grown comfortable. Maybe you've grown complacent like we're all tempted to. You're not alone, by the way. Not only take heed lest you fall, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond, beyond what you're able, but with every temptation he'll provide a way of escape so you can bear up under it. God seeks us out when, you need, when we need it the most. Maybe others of you can relate to Simeon and Levi. You sought vengeance on your own. Maybe you're caught in the fear of man like Jacob and you're worried about what other people think about you. The consequences if you, if you stand up for believing in Jesus at school, work. Here's the good news for you, for me. God's calling to us graciously. He's not calling to us to condemn us. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian, then you're already facing the condemnation of God. But there's a wonderful hope. You can repent and trust in Him. And then it says in, in, in Romans 8, 1, there's, there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For Jesus did what, what we could not do in the flesh, what the law weakened by flesh could not, we, we couldn't do. We couldn't obey the law. God called Jacob to Him. Not because Jacob was worthy. God, God called Jacob to him because he was unworthy. Because he needed God the most. God called him to worship him, to find refuge in him alone. This morning, maybe you find yourself needing refuge. There's good news. God's calling to you. He's calling, come to me, worship me. Live a life of worship. Renew your vows of worship before me. God calls his people to come and worship him and find refuge in him. And, and really, it's the first 15 verses of this chapter. Over half the chapter, I wrestled with this chapter. It was, there's, there's so much in this chapter, so many different stories, so many different pieces. They don't seem to fit. What is this? There's like, you have, you've got worship, and then you've got putting away idolatry, and then you've got, then you've got Deborah dies, and then doesn't even mention his mom, probably because, because of her sin against her husband. And, and, and so then you realize, well, what happened to his mom? We don't know. She's probably dead, but she's not honored. Sin had consequences in her life. There's so much happening in these verses. You see that his wife dies, gives birth to Benjamin. She names him son of my sorrows. He renames him son of, my, of the right hand. So much stuff. There's, this is a hard chapter. There's hard things that happen. There's, there's death and worship and death and birth and death. And defilement as well. But in the midst of it all, there is a theme. And that's the, that's the theme really that, that God graciously calls his people and that he redeems them. Not, doesn't get rid of all the sin and the consequences and the effects of sin, but in the midst of sin. That, why is that hope giving for us? Because that's reality, isn't it? That's reality for you and me is that there is death and sin and wickedness around us and sometimes happens to us and in our lives and, and the hope in the midst of all of that, that's 
How can we make sense of it all is that we know that God graciously calls and redeems his people in the middle of all this messed up world of sin. The second point that we see is not only does God graciously call his people, God calls his people to a life of worship. What, what is he calling us to? What is, what is God calling us for? Why is God calling us? Well, he's calling us to be worshipers of him. He's calling us to worship him. That's what he called Jacob to do. And really, you see the first 15 verses kind of spelling that out of what, how Jacob responded. You see, when God called Jacob, what did he do? He immediately responded. He immediately responded to God's word, and he was obviously convicted. So in response to God's word, he took action. They ritually purified themselves by bathing, by cleansing, and they put on new clothes to signify a, a new and a, and, a, and, a, and a changed, a pure way of life. It was, an, it was an outward manifestation of what had inwardly happened. It's kind of like for Christians, baptism. It doesn't do anything to us on the inside, but baptism is, a, is an outward profession of what's happened on the inside. It's saying, I'm declaring that I'm new, that something has changed, I'm, that I'm going to live a life of worship to God because... Because God's called me and changed me and made me new. It was an outward acknowledgement, a sign. They're changing their ways, living differently now. They were set apart. And if you've, if you've had the privilege of participating in, in, in baptism in response to the Lord, what, what a wonderful privilege that is to be able to publicly declare, Lord, we, we, we want to worship you with all that we are. We want to be different. But it's not about externals. It's about the inside. It's about our hearts and Psalm 24, 3 and 4, it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. It's not about putting on things externally. It's not about deceiving. It's not about claiming to be something that we aren't. It's about saying, yes. I am who I am, but by the grace of God, he's made me new and he's making me into the person he's called me to be already. And I'm going to live a life of worship and response so that I can in faith respond to him to in obedience, put off, put on, and worship the Lord. Jacob applied what God said to him by putting away idolatry from his household. He put away idolatry from his household. And he had his own idols, even if they weren't physical. Shared earlier, I have my own. I'm sure each and every one of you struggles with idolatry in your heart. You see, rarely do any of us physically worship something. Although some guys I've seen worshiping cars, you know, or something else like that. By the way, guys, there's nothing wrong with having a muscle car or a nice car. That's all good. As long as you're not worshiping it. But Jacob, he, he, he told his household to repent, to put away idolatry. You see, he, he, was, he was putting away idolatry himself. He, he was controlled by the fear of man. <clears throat> Enough that he, he failed to come to his daughter's aid when she was defiled. That's how much that was an idol for him. But Jacob, you see in these, in these verses that he, he and his household, they repent of the mistakes at Shechem. They renew the covenant. They re, and responding to God, for you this morning, Christian, how do you probably, but responding to God it means getting rid of whatever it is that gets in the way of worshiping God. That's another way of saying it. When you, when you love something so much that you, you sin in order to get that thing, that's what an idol is. 
Sin is putting away. I mean, repentance is putting away any of those sins, any of those things that, that we put before God that we want so much that we get angry when we don't get it. We get upset when we don't get it. We... Responding repentance to God means getting rid of whatever it is that gets in the way of worshiping God. And Israel's covenant with God, it, it entailed exclusive allegiance to God. And that's God's call in our lives today too. That's not just for the nation of Israel. Somehow they were called to exclusive allegiance to Him. So that's why he says, put away all the foreign gods. You can't worship God and worship all these other gods at the same time. And in our hearts, you know, Jesus said you can't worship God and money. It's not possible to do those things. It wasn't limiting it just to money, by the way. You can't worship God and other gods. You can't make something else a God and worship the true God. So what are we called to do as Christians as well? We're, we're called to put away those false gods, those foreign idols, to, to live a life of worship. And God's calling all of us to worship. And the ironic thing is that not too far from where God spoke to Jacob, the physical place where God spoke to Jacob, a couple thousand years later, God in, in human form spoke to a lady at, at a well in the same area, within about 20 miles of there probably, maybe even the same area, we're not exactly sure, but definitely in that region. And Jesus came and he sat down at a well and he, he talked to a lady who he knew what was in her heart. He, he, he knew what was going on. And he said to her, but the hour is coming. This is John 4, 23. He says, but the hour is coming and now is here. And for us, and now is here as well. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And God today, just like He sought Jacob to worship Him in truth and in spirit, God is seeking today worshipers. God is answering His people in the day of their distress. Maybe you find yourself distressed this morning. God answers His people in the day of their distress. God answered Jacob and the day of his distress as well. And that's what he, he's pointing people back to. He worshiped God for who he was and who he is. And that's what we worship God for as well. We don't worship God for our circumstances. We don't worship God in, in light of what we feel, what we experience, in light of what we think. We worship God in light of what's true. And that's a discipline sometimes. You have to choose to worship. I'm going to choose to worship God for what I know is true about God. I'm going to worship Him based on the truth that we find in Scripture. I'm going to worship Him in spirit because I desire to worship Him and God calls me to worship Him. And sometimes it's hard to believe those truths. You know, the Israelites struggled constantly. If you look out to the history of the Israelites and in the first five books, really, it's, it's tales of, of the of the people of Israel, Jacob and all of his descendants, they're just struggling back and forth with believing that God is who he said he is. And isn't that the challenge for us as well? You see, the, the Israelites were reading, were, these words were intended for the Israelites who had just come out of Egypt. And they were going to encounter many trials and toils and troubles and snares. They needed to know that God is who He says He is and we worship Him 
for who he says he is. He, he's God Almighty. El Shaddai is actually the, the description for God, the Hebrew word for God we find in these verses. God Almighty. We worship God for who he is. And the Israelites constantly struggle with this. And Jacob needed the reminder of the altar. And they needed to be constantly reminded that indeed God is the God who answers us in our distress. And sometimes you, you don't believe that. You don't feel like that. You don't believe it's true that, no, I don't feel like God's really answering me right now in a time of my distress. But God is the God who answers you in the time of your distress. You know, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They had no idea what they would encounter. They didn't know where they would get food. They didn't know where they would get water. It was hostile land. They were in a foreign, unfamiliar ground. It was more, most likely that none of them had ever lived there. They'd all just come out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They weren't welcome in the land of Canaan. These people didn't like them. They weren't embracing them. So it was good for them to see their father Jacob, Israel, beginning the patriarch of their nation. It was good to see that he faced the same challenges as well. And it's good for us to see that his people face the same challenges as well, but all throughout it, God is faithful. God's faithful to call. God's faithful to redeem. God's faithful to bring about his purposes, to be faithful to his word and his promises, and he's reminding Jacob in these verses as well. He reminds him of his prior promises. And he commits anew to continue to do what he already said he would do and already had done and begun to do. And he said, I'm going to continue to be faithful to you and I'm going to bring nations and, and, and a company of nations from, from your body. These people were hostile. We see in, in, in verse 5 that that God supernaturally protected Jacob and his whole family. God provided for them. He cared for them as on, on their way to worship and God's people need to know that God is the one who supernaturally makes a way for us to live a life of worship and obedience to Him. This flawed, this chosen man, he continued to fail and sin. He knew that not only did God answer him in his distress, God had been with him. He says, this is the God who's been with me wherever I went. Even when times were crummy, he didn't say that, but I kind of added that, times were crummy for him. He was with me wherever I went and that gave him faith to respond to God, put away idols and worship him. And in purifying themselves and in changing their garments as it tells us, they were distinguishing themselves in the world around them, setting themselves apart for worship to God. In our worship for God, Christian, how are we setting ourselves apart? Now, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to be awkward or weird or start wearing things in the back of your head. Now, if you have a conviction for that, I'm not mocking you, but... Um, how are we living differently? What are we living for? What God are we serving in our lives? And is that evident in how we live our lives? A life of, of worship calls for obedience. You know, you know Jesus, when he, he told his disciples to, to go to all the world, preaching the gospel and making disciples of all nations, he says, teaching them to do all that I commanded. Are we striving? Jesus, I want to I learn how to obey all that you commanded. It's a great resource for that, by the way. I, um, I think it's called, what, is, what does Jesus demand of the world? 
It's a, it's a, it's a book by John Piper. It's, you, can, you can find it online. You can, you can download it as a PDF and encourage your boy. There's a great study, study guide there. Start, start a Bible study around that. It, it, just, it unpacks Jesus' commands. What does is, what is a life of obedience look like? Life of worship, it calls for repentance too. And he, he instructs them to give up, their God, give up their idols, give up their false gods. And they unceremoniously, they, they dump them underneath a tree and they put them in a hole basically. Um, and, and that's a way to tell the Israelites, these aren't really gods. Because a God that you can bury is no God at all. A God that's mute, that doesn't speak, that's no God. It, it can't do anything. We serve the God Almighty. The living God and and you know what? Sometimes we look to gods to fulfill us and we look to gods to, to do things for us, but they never deliver. They never fulfill. You look to the God of money, maybe. You maybe look to the God of power or prestige or people thinking well of you, but they never deliver. And in fact, they just, you remain in bondage. God says, put those things away. Those aren't, those aren't real gods. That's not, the, that's not the true and living, the God Almighty. There's only one. They had to give up their idols. They gave up their pagan ways. They even gave up the earrings. And I was like, what, what is that with the earring thing? What, why do they give up the earrings? Are earrings bad? No, earrings are not bad. It's okay to wear earrings, ladies, it's, if, you, if you like earrings. Um, but in, in this text, they, they probably were earrings that were little amulets that were typically worn. They probably took them from the people of Shechem. Most scholars would say that in that day it was, it was popular too when, he's, when it's connected with foreign gods and earrings. It was, it was probably little amulets that they believe held a little magical power or somehow warded off evil spirits or, or gave them good luck charms. You know, for us, we rarely have those types of things in our lives today because we tend to know better. But we can rely on other things, can't we? We can rely on our own little good luck charms. We can rely on, on things to keep us safe and protect us, or little ways of saying things or other things. And God says, no, put those things away. Trust in me. Life of worship, it called for sacrifice. Jacob, when he poured out a, a drink offering, he anointed the, the pillar with oil. He was, he was signifying sacrifice. And most people would, would say that he was probably also fulfilling his vow when he, when he went there as well. And he had vowed to give a tenth of all that he had. And For us, we don't have to try to figure out. See, it was much more difficult for them. They had to try to figure out what's God's will. They had to wait for God to speak. For us, we don't need to figure that out. We can, we can, we can open God's word. We can find God's words to us. They're, they're, they're plain. When, when Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I commanded to you, it's, it's pretty clear. It's pretty plain. That's God's will for our lives. And boy, I love that. It's, it's very helpful for me to know that God's will is that we would love him with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. God's will is that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. That's how we live a life of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 really talks about that, about um, in, in, view, in full view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters. In full view of God's mercy. To, to make your lives a, a spiritual sacrifice. To, to live lives that are, that are living for Him. It's a spiritually sacrificing as, a, as an act of worship to God. So he rebuilds the altar, implies a second a sacred consecration, a, a setting aside, a giving up. The story of Jacob has really come full circle now, hasn't it? 
He's returned to the place where God first revealed himself to Jacob. He left that place 30 years ago as a refugee, fleeing for his life. God had met him in Bethel and made a promise to him. And, and now what it, might, it probably seemed like a lifetime away for him. I know for me, reflecting back on, on God's call in my life, it just seems like so long ago. And yet it was just, just yesterday at the same time. I can't believe that 35 years ago I, I heard the gospel and somehow in my little four or five-year-old mind I understood it. Now, though, Jacob's an older, he's a wiser man. He's renewing his commitment to God. He's setting up an altar to him once again, this time with a lot more understanding. And I find that for us, too. You know, for me, um, God calls me back to him, and I, I find that, boy, I, I tend to understand things more and more each time. I, I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe what I didn't understand before. And every year, I feel like the same way. I look back and, wow, I didn't, I didn't really get God's grace before. I didn't really get who God was. I didn't get who God was calling me to be in the same way, and so instead of just rededicating it, he names it El Bethel, which means God of the house of God. His worship is not just going to be about the place where God is, but his worship is going to be about God. God had brought peace between him and his brother. The children of Israel after the Exodus, the, the altar, it also signified something else. It, it was a symbolic claim that Israel had made on the land. So when he was setting up these various altars, as they're reading this, they say, okay, well, that's, that's, that was a symbolic claim. So we're coming back into the land. God has already claimed that land through our forefathers. That was a promise. It was kind of like when Columbus came to the Americas and he, he planted his flag for Spain. He thought he was claiming that land for Spain. Here's, here's the cool news the, the cross, it, it, it's been planted. Why do, we even, why do we look back to the cross? It's been planted as staking the claim on the promised land. See, it, it's bridged the gap between, between God and man. Through the cross, Jesus bridged the gap between God and man so that we, we can have a way through Jesus to the Father. And, and Jesus has staked a claim for us. He says, I go, if, if, I, if I go, I, I'm telling you the truth, I'm going to prepare a place for you. God's prepared a place for all those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God's prepared an, an ultimate and final home for you. He's staked a claim in the, in the ultimate promised land, Jesus, our great redeemer. And the story now, in the midst of this, if you look in the middle from 16 down to the end of the chapter, it kind of, it takes a turn here. In the middle of Jacob's obedience, Deborah, Jacob's mother, he, the nurse dies, they bury her, there's sadness, they, they bury her, they call the oak, place the oak of weeping, Alon Bakoth, which is what that means. And in the remainder of the chapter, it's mixed with both evidences of God's redeeming power and some pretty crummy effects of sin. You see, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat, it doesn't sugarcoat life. You know, a lot of people believe in the victorious Christian life that has no difficulties, no trials. If I just obey God, then everything will go well. That's not the Bible. If you obey God, He will care for you. He will sustain you. He'll be with you wherever you go. He will redeem you in the midst of the effects of sin. 
Now, thankfully, to some degree, the already has come where he has already redeemed us from the curse. He has already redeemed us from the fall in many ways. And he gives us many promises and we can pray to him to be healed. And that's a sign of the redemption that he's already brought that they couldn't ask for, that, that God is willingly gives to those who seek him and he calls us to do those things. But at the same time, we still have the remaining effects of sin in this world. We still have death. And these verses, they really show us that, that death is still present for even the promised ones. And sin still happens. And sin still has effects. But yet God redeems amidst the effects of sin. That's our third and final point. God redeems amidst the effects of sin. You know, Adam's sin, it brought death and a sadness and a result. All people that Jacob loved, they're beginning to die off. And we see that here. Eventually, one day, this is great news for you. No, it's not really. It's, it's, it's horrible to think about. Eventually, one day, all the people you love will die. It's a reality. But God will sustain you. In the midst of that. God redeems his people in the midst of death. He redeems his people amidst the effects of sin. We see Deborah's death. and Although she was old according to our standards. Death was never meant to occur prior to sin. And yet we see the effects of sin. She's buried. Then we're drawn to blessing that God gave to Jacob. And then once again we look down the verses. And God reminds Jacob who he's to be. Verse 11 we see the language of the creation order. Way back to the beginning of Genesis. If you look down at verse 11 just for a moment. God declares, declares him, to, he tells him, commands him to be fruitful and multiply. And when he does that, he, what, he's, what, what is he doing? He's signifying that God, that God's signifying he's redeeming a new people for himself, a new nation, a new race through Israel. He'd bring about a new race. A, a, and now for us, a chosen priesthood, Peter tells us, a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a people for his own possession, we get to be a part of that people. A race that's not based on ethnicity. A race that's not based on what, what language you speak, where you've come from, your background. A race that's based on our forerunner Jesus. The firstborn is what it, is what it means when he says the firstborn among many brothers. And he gives us a new name. And he brings about the effects of his redemption in the midst of death, in the midst of sin. And this is some awful sin too. Awful sin happens until he returns. But thanks be to God that one day he'll, he'll redeem us from oh, the curse of sin. All of creation is groaning and we ourselves inwardly groan for the first fruits. Oh, we, we, want, we want redemption, the redemption of our bodies and this whole, this whole world around us. But God redeems his people amidst the effects of sin. And he, God declares that he'll bring a nation and a company of nations that will come through him. And one of the first illusions, really, when he, when he talks about kings will come from your body. It's the first, one of the first illusions we have towards the Messiah. And, and then we next see that, that that phrase is not used again until Samuel. About kings coming from your body. And we see that in 2 Samuel 7, actually. 12 and then 16. It says, when your days are fulfilled, speaking to David... This is God speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about Jesus. And, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. 
before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Clearly, that was, that was Solomon in, 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 in one sense, but ultimately not forever. No, that couldn't have been a person except for the person of Jesus who reigns forever. Kings would come from his own body even though they wouldn't be fulfilled for many years and ultimately wouldn't be fulfilled until Christ. But in these verses, we're reminded of the reality of death, the effects of sin. Rachel dies in childbirth. The one who said, give me children or I die, ironically died having children. God redeems in the midst of death and sin. God redeems his people. God's a redeemer. Verse 20, there's, there's an interesting side note almost about the fact that Jacob set up a pillar over a tomb. It was still there to this day. And that was really meant to serve as a reminder so that the Israelites could have proof that the story was true because 400 years later when they're coming back in the promised land, he said, it's still there to this day, by the way. You can see this is no fictional account. This is no fairy tale story. You can still see that God, God redeems. He brings new life in the midst of death, in the midst of sin. You can see that I'm going to bring you into this land. And there's a lot of effects of sin in Jacob's life, weren't there? But God redeems amidst all those effects. His sin was the reason he had to flee for his life in the first place. And from his brother's wrath, he had to, he had to live out of the promised land for many years because of his sin. God redeemed Jacob and he brought him back safely. God redeemed his relationship with his brother and brought reconciliation. Laban's sin against him had, had made a difficult marriage and family life. That's an understatement, isn't it? But God redeems his marriage and brought many tribes of Israel from Leah. Jacob's sin of favoritism against Leah, it caused her suffering too. But here's the cool thing. God redeems even Leah as well. You know who the Messiah ends up coming through? It's through Leah's seed. God I love the picture of redemption. As you look in, in the New Testament, you see who, who's the line that Jesus came through? He came through broken people. He came through people who were discarded and treated as if they're second class. And he redeemed them. God didn't play favorites with Leah. <laughs> you might think people, other people are better off than you. Other people are suffering less than you. And that may be true. But God redeems those who are suffering. God redeems his people. I don't know what in the world that is. <laughs> These are the generations of Esau. I'm not sure what's happening. Is it my Bible? <laughs> That's pretty funny. It wasn't me. <laughs> it's a good reminder though because we're not going to go through chapter 36. <laughs> That's pretty comical. Um, God was even faithful to Esau. And that's ironically the next thing in my notes too. Um, God's even faithful to Esau who rejected him, but God was faithful to him because of his covenant with his father. Boy, God redeemed his relationships. 
You know, Jacob's sin of favoritism against Leah and her children it was probably what motivated Reuben to sin against him and, and sleep with his father's concubine. And that day would have been trying to, to forcibly secure his own inheritance. That would have been a way that they would do that as the rightful heir. It didn't turn out that way, and Reuben was disqualified as the rightful heir. But God redeemed that. And through, so God redeemed that because Reuben, he, he kind of was disqualified from being the rightful heir because of what he did. You see that Simeon and Levi were disqualified from being the rightful heirs. They were third in line. First in line, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. They were all disqualified. But God redeemed the lineage of, of Leah. God redeems them because who has Jesus come through? He's, he's called the Lion of Judah. God redeems the downcast, the mistreated, the rejected. God honors the sons of Leah who were dishonored by their father. God chose the sons of Levi to be priests to him, the guy who really messed up and killed a bunch of people previously. Moses and Aaron, Moses who wrote the bulk of this book, was from the tribe. Sons of, of, of Judah gave birth to Jacob, to David, his offspring will be forever, forever on the throne. And it goes on from there, just time after time. You can see the redemption of God in the midst of death and sin. Ultimately, Jesus from the tribe of Judah. Ultimately, redeeming, vindicating. It's important, and it's interesting to know, if you look down in the, in the genealogy, Scripture doesn't do what Jacob did. Remember Jacob organized his wives in order of his preference, putting, putting uh, the servants first, of Leah and, and his children with them and then, then he put the servant of Rachel and then children with them and then the servant of and then he put Leah and her children and then he put Rachel and children last because he, he was doing that because he, he was treating them preferentially. It was wrong. Scripture doesn't do that. Scripture lists them in order of their inheritance, their, their order, their, their rights to become the head of the family. It, it shows impartiality. God redeems the Davidic line, the Messiah, comes to the lineage of Judah. Maybe you feel like your sin and the sin of others is too big to redeem. Look at the life of Jacob. Look at the life of Jacob. God's redemption didn't depend on Jacob's obedience. His plan of redemption wasn't hindered by the sin of other people. It wasn't hindered by death. It wasn't hindered by his own sin either. And you look at, at the end of these verses, the completion of the 12 tribes of Israel, the promise made through Abraham is being carried out. That's why they're here. You know what, the promises of, Ab of, of God to Abraham, why do we have the genealogy at the end? We already, we already knew that, but it was, it was because God wanted to communicate that his promises were not thwarted by human sin. God was continuing to be faithful. God was faithful to bring about the many nations he had promised to Abraham. He redeemed even bad consequences for the good of those who love him and called according to his name as Jacob was and as you, as you and I are. God graciously calls to us. He calls us out of sin to rescue us. He calls us to a life of worship. He, he redeems us in the midst of death and sin. A preacher from the late 1700s, he, he knew God's grace. He knew there's real hope in God's grace and he penned these words and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll find them familiar. Uh, if the band will go ahead and come up. We're not going to sing this song, but we're going to sing another song. But the band will go ahead and come up. Actually, everybody go ahead and stand. We'll, you stretch for a moment as we read these words that a preacher who understood God's gracious call to those who don't deserve, he says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, 
But now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, and, I, and maybe you can relate, I've already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, not my feelings. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail, and believe me, mine does, and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing grace that graciously calls to us when we're not looking, when we don't deserve it, when we, when we need it most. In the midst of our sin, you call to us. You call us to come back to you in worship. And you redeem us in the midst of human suffering and sin, the effects of sin and death, Lord. You redeem us, Lord. Thank you that our hope is that you who called us here below will be forever mine. In your name we pray, amen.